In today's episode, we're unpacking the fans first framework that have guided the Savannah Bananas to global success. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the principles that have guided them to success throughout their entire career? Then we take all those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. On today's episode, I am super excited. This is our first three-time guest that we've ever had on this show, Jesse Cole, the owner of Savannah Bananas. You might know him as Yellow Tux Jesse, as he's officially known on Twitter, um, but he has created such a fans-first organization and culture with the Savannah Bananas. They have just taken off to massive success over the last year. You've probably seen their videos on Instagram or TikTok uh, where the players are doing ridiculous dances. But behind the scenes, there is a very, very architected system and process for how they've achieved this success. Now, at one point in the show, Jesse's like, do we look like a team that's got a bunch of systems and processes? But the reality is even their loosely guided systems and processes are more than a lot of other organizations have. And those loosely guided systems and processes have empowered them to be creative and take risks in different areas. So um, what we're going to do in the, the framework of the show today, uh, where we've had Jesse on in past episodes, and we'll link to those episodes in the show notes, We've kind of just brainstormed and jammed, but Jesse has a brand new book out. It's called Fans First, and we really want to unpack that. So in Fans First, based on the true story of the Savannah Bananas, there's really a kind of five-step framework that we're going to go through in this episode. So let me give you a little bit of description about this new book, because I really want you guys to go out and get it. As much as exposure as we've had to Jesse and Savannah Bananas over the years, there's still tons of stories and insights in there that we've never heard before that really were getting us to think a little bit differently here at Engagement. So here is a little excerpt on the book. The Savannah Bananas should not exist. You can't name any of their players. They play in a 1920s era ballpark with no ads or billboards. They play in kilts, stilts, and stilettos. They even have an all-grandma dance team, the Banana Nanas. Everything that the Bananas do is unconventional. It shouldn't work. And yet, they sell out every game and have a wait list in the thousands. They ship merchandise around the globe, and they entertain millions of followers on social media. ESPN calls the Bananas the greatest show in baseball. How is this even possible? Two words, fans first. Packed with behind-the-peel stories, hard-earned lessons, and a few other surprises, Fans First teaches you how to stand out in your marketplace, drive explosive growth, and inspire fanatical loyalty. If this all sounds bananas, that's the point. Normal leaders read normal books and get normal results. But if you're ready to change the game, break the rules, and create your own unforgettable team, then it's time to go Fans First. So that's a little bit on the book. I highly encourage you to go buy it. If you like this conversation with Jesse and you learn something, you'll learn even more from the book. And without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend, Jesse Cole. Jesse, what is going on, man? Welcome back to the show for your third time. Uh, how is everything going? Uh, I'm just, you know, today, this is a new record for me. The first time I've ever been invited like back a third time. Like, you know, I mean, you get really good guests and you're inviting me back a third time. I don't know if this type of month is slow for you, David, but I am, I'm very excited to be back for the third time. Well, and you just have a new book that is out that is really all about uh, not standing out. That was your first book. This is all about the Savannah Banana story fans first. So talk to us a little bit about the approach for like, why tell the story in the way that you told it? Um, tell us a little bit about what the book and uh, the book is and what people can expect when they go get it. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a kind of a journey, you know, starting with Find Your Yellow Tux was my personal journey on how standing out, being different and starting to build a brand that was doing something unique. And Fans First was really the next step in how to put all the focus, not on chasing customers, but on creating fans. And it's something that we put every every single segment of our imagination, every single piece of our interaction and our focus 
goes to that and creating fans. So yeah, it's uh, I've really looked back and be able to say, you know what, there's five E's that we've developed to create these raving fans. There's certain things that we do that I think is applicable here, the sports industry, and hopefully with a lot of different other businesses as well. I am super excited to jump in and talk about these five E's. But before we do that, I mean, talk to us a little bit about like what the recent success has been like for you guys. You're up to 2.7 million followers on TikTok. I mean, the amount of TikToks that people send me are Instagram reels. They're like, have you guys seen this? I'm like, man, Jesse's been on the show for years. I feel like an OG. Uh, so tell us about the recent success that you guys have been having and, and what that's been like for you and the organization. And then I'm especially interested as to how it's impacted the culture. Yeah, I mean, it's a long way going back uh, six years ago to sleeping on an airbed and having to sell my house and me and Emily down to our last dollar and grocery shopping with $30 a week. That's all we had. So fortunately, now with the uh, success, we have the real bed and, you know, we have a nicer house and it's it's a little better situation. But yeah, what's happened is everything has been so focused on uh, creating attention and creating fans that Yes, we're every day we're thinking, how can we do five to 10 things on a baseball field we've never done before? And so, yes, over the last few months from a guy coming up to bat uh, with his bat on fire to obviously stilts pitching to a trick pitcher to a break dancing umpire to uh, you name it, we've tried it uh, to dancing in between pitches that some of those videos have got over 40 to 80 million views. Um, yeah, it's it's to see what's happened. We had a, about a million followers three months ago, and now we're almost at four million total social media followers. And uh, to see, you know, ESPN's doing a documentary series on us. They followed us throughout our tour. And, you know, today's show, CBS Sunday Morning, HBO Real Sports, uh, it's been wild. And, you know, I'm just, we're fortunate. When you answer, ask, what has it done for the culture? I think one of the greatest things you can do in a culture is create a product and experience that you're proud of. And when you do that and you get the recognition that you're doing that, I think it makes everyone feel more purpose fulfillment coming every day that they're making a bigger impact than just coming to the ballpark and doing work. And now every day they're like, oh my goodness, we were shared here. You know, Joe Rogan shared us today. We were number one on Sports Center today. And every day it seemed like the last six months, it's like something new has popped. And uh, it really uh, makes us all feel proud of what we're doing. Do you have a, a, a feature or a highlight? Like you mentioned Joe Rogan uh, retweeting you guys or, or whatever it might be. Do you have a, one that stands out that you're like, or, or a goal where you're like, mm, if these guys, if these guys push me out and, and say, hey, <laughs> Savannah Bananas is so cool that we've made it. Do you have a favorite one or an aspirational one? ESPN's pretty big, but yeah, I mean, I, I, what do you, I, mean, you I mean, I'm from Situ in Massachusetts, and I, I never imagined that the Boston Globe would do a feature story on us. And, uh, you know, that was last year, but now New York Times this past week, the LA Times, the London Times, uh, you know, I mean, today's show is crazy. They're coming next week, and CBS Sunday Morning was a piece that was blowing us away. But yeah, you can look at all big ones and people say, oh, I want to be on Ellen or back in the day, I want to be on Oprah. That was never our goal. Our goal in every single day is to create the greatest show possible on a baseball field and do it by putting fans first every step of the way. And when that's what's happened. I know it sounds cheesy. It sounds the politically correct answer, but really it's never a goal for media. Um, and now, fortunately, I mean, to think that, you know, ESPN was with us for two and a half months every day. I was mic'd up all the time to cover us on tour and they're going to do a four episode series almost an hour long each episode in august uh is pretty crazy because they've never this is completely new for espn to do an original follow doc like this uh, to for them to take the chance on that and then broadcast our games nationally which they're uh you know in the works of doing we've already done in, in april is pretty special did espn come to you or you went to espn so everything that i've learned is one small thing leads to the next thing. And so once we get a little bit of attention here, it leads to the next bigger attention, the next bigger attention, the next bigger attention. So uh, last year we were starting to get, you know, the Wall Street Journal covered us, Baseball America and Boston Globe and some of those bigger uh, national features and SportsCenter and ESPN found out about it. So they came and did a SportsCenter piece on us in August uh, and they called us the greatest show in baseball. And it was a seven minute piece that that took off. And me and the director, David Bellinson, hit it off. Like, he understood the core of who we are, what we stand for, and did a piece that was really special. And because that took off, I was like, he's like, Jesse, there is a show here. And we got reached out to by about 30 or 40 production companies. And I was like, David, why don't we just go to ESPN? And so we met with them. And I'll never forget, we met with them in October. They're like, we love you guys, but this is a long shot. There's no chance. We've never done anything like this. This can't happen. But the meeting went so well. And I was like, David, they have to. There's something here. And it went months and months and months. And I remember... The call, I was in the call, car with uh, Emily and I got the message and the call that they greenlit it. And I was like, you know, we've had over a hundred plus rejections for shows over the last four years, a hundred plus. I haven't Holy shared this publicly, a hundred. 
And when they said they greenlit to do a show on us, and it was literally in January, and the show was start, the filming and it's starting in February. So they had to put it together <laughs> in January, get there in February to be there for our tryouts for our banana ball tour. I mean, I get emotional. You know, I get emotional because you work so hard for something. And you know, I always had a dream of playing professional baseball. But to be honest, this is bigger. This is bigger. It's going to impact more people. And so uh, it comes out, you're looking at the middle of August as the release date. It's going to be really special. I, I'm just, again, take one more second to celebrate you guys. I, I'm so hyped for you on it. I, it felt like for years you guys were, you especially were, were almost playing the role of Chicken Little, being like baseball needs to become more entertaining. Baseball needs to put fans first. As, as any organization, you need to put your customers first. And we're showing how to do it on the front lines every single day, day in, day out, to an exaggerated uh, amount of effort, right? Uh, and, and it's paid off. And I love to see that for you guys. Uh, I do have to ask one question. So you, before we go into the, our 5Ds, you've always been such a staunch proponent of, again, going back to the culture, leading your team. You've led by example throughout how how much of your time now do you feel like you're dedicating towards staying in with the team versus doing the press type of things because you are the face of the organization as well what's that balance been like for you great question and i'm still trying to figure all this out this is all new for me david so i don't have i don't have a masterful answer here but um it's very important like mondays my monday is very intentional with our team so we have our uh, we have our marketing meetings, our OTT meetings, we have our entertainment meetings. I'm very heavy involved in that. What are we doing different on the field this day, this week? What are we doing different next week? And keep planning that. So I spent a lot of that. Uh, I even shared today on on LinkedIn. After every single game, I walk with our director of entertainment. We probably walk a mile and a half. We do laps around the field, going over every single promotion throughout the night. How do we plus it? How do we get better? So I'm spending very intentional on the areas that I can have the best impact. That is the show. That is the experience. Uh, that is the entertainment and the marketing. So I spend a lot of my time there. And then, well, it's, and it's amplifying it. So, you know, in the book, I share uh, about creating your energy list. And if everyone says, how many of you have so much energy, Jesse, always? I mean, you're running around. You have three kids under three years old. You're, you're foster parents. You're doing all this craziness. How do you do it? And I go, well, I do what gives me energy. And so it's very clear. And so if my energy list, I've realized it's creating, sharing, and growing. So when I'm coming up with ideas in the morning, I'm beginning with our group creating, and then I'm growing with our team, learning, listening to new things. I'm studying Mr. Beast like crazy, which is weird. I don't know why I'm studying a YouTuber, but I am fascinated. By, That's why. But I'm fascinated. So I'm spending a lot of time learning that right now. So I'm growing and then sharing. So to give you an idea, sharing with media fires me up. Sharing on a podcast with you, sharing in a keynote anywhere fires me up. So if I'm doing all that, I'm able to amplify what I think most people can do in a given day because I'm doing with the, the ultimate energy. And that's why I think everyone should create their energy list. If they want to be the best for themselves, the best for their team, the best for everyone they touch in their lives. I love it. Okay. So speaking of energy, let's jump into the five E's uh, that you have in the new book uh, because everybody should go out and get it. Uh, it's, it's incredible. So let's jump into it here. Um, I want to start with eliminate friction is the first one. So, I mean, we'll kind of review the five real quick and then we'll go and unpack all of them. So we've got eliminate friction, entertain always, experiment constantly, engage deeply, empower action. Um, so why don't we start here with eliminate friction? Uh, this is something that you guys as an organization do really, really, really well. And on LinkedIn, it's filled with stories of how you're taking a little component of the customer journey that's been identified as a pain point and going in and solving for some of it. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how you guys eliminate friction as an organization specifically, and maybe give some, some good examples of recently where that's happened in the customer journey for you guys. Yeah, or I can also share where we've really failed in this. That There's some good stories there, too. There you so, go. Look, we, can, uh, we can go there, too. Yeah, so uh, anyways, I, I think it's a starting point. And again, I, my biggest mentor, and I always come back to it, uh, uh, is Walt Disney. How to Be Like Walt is one of my favorite books. Come back to it all the time. And, you know, he did this. I mean, he literally had an uh, apartment above the fire station at Disneyland that he would come out and walk with the guests and look for all the different friction points in the experience. He said, whenever I go on a ride, I'm always asking for what's wrong with this thing and how can it be improved? So he was fascinated by that. So yeah, we've done the same thing. And yeah, I mean, whatever your industry is, sports or anything else, what's the biggest friction point that you could find? And for us, it was the baseball was too long, too slow, too boring. So the macro, we just attacked that. We said, all right, you know, how can we have dancing players, break dancing coaches, a pep band, a senior citizen dance team, a male cheerleading team? How can we have music playing nonstop? And that's something I don't talk about a lot. We have a DJ and announcer, Mark the Shark, and he is a radio guy that literally is all about music. So he plays sing-along songs the entire night. So people are like, their voices are gone by the night, not from just yelling, from singing. That's part of attacking boredom. And so it's part of the experience that we look at. And so 
There's macro and then there's micro. The little things, the ticket fees, the convenient fees, the shipping fees, all those little things that you have a policy or a way to get an extra fee. And if I'll share, David, just one story that really changed everything for me. And I shared it in the book, but I never shared it in the previous book, anything before. I was too embarrassed by it. Um, it was with our first team in Gastonia. And we had this Chick-fil-A night, Chick-fil-A family night. And think about this deal. This is how much we were trying to learn how to sell tickets back then. Four tickets, four Chick-fil-A meals, and four hats for $29.95. Okay, what is wrong with us? That deal was ridiculous. And it was the only way we had to get people in in the beginning when we were struggling. So anyways, we did this. And I'll never forget the moment. A family of four, they bought their Chick-fil-A at the restaurant that was low. We didn't have Chick-fil-A in our stadium. So they buy Chick-fil-A, they get the vouchers. And they came to the ballpark and they're ready to walk in the stadium. They were excited as a family. And I was walking by the gate and I said, I'm sorry, guys, uh, you can't come in with food and beverage into our stadium. That's a stadium policy. And I watched as they walked back out the gate and they looked around. And this isn't a parking lot in Gaston. There's no picnic tables. They looked, there was nowhere to sit. So they sat down right on the pavement, right next to the gate. It was about 90 degrees. And I watched this father, this mother, and two kids, young kids. They ate their Chick-fil-A meal in the sun on the pavement. Once they finished their meals, they looked up and they were going to walk in and they shook their heads and walked right back to their car and mm. went home. And that hit me to my core. That night I called a meeting with our staff and I said, guys, no longer are we saying people can't come in uh, with food and beverage. And everyone's like, no, that's a policy. What about our concessions? What about our revenue? What about other? like the, the smart people on our staff was like, you can't do that. I go, guys, we just ruined a first impression. We lost a fan because of a stupid policy. And I finally won that boat, um, maybe because I was running the team, but that helped. I won the boat. And fortunately, that moment, we changed it. And David, if you look at how many teams in the world right now say no food and beverage allowed in the stadium, we made that move. Now we actually encourage it. Yeah. Now we encourage it because every single ticket's all inclusive in Savannah. So you actually like save us, bring your food, you know, we're sort of a give. But I mean, it's, it's it, that little moment. So how many teams, how many businesses have little policies because it's always the way you've done, but it's actually causing friction. And I know I went long there, but that was one no, that no, really no, hit great. Yeah. Well, when we think about friction though, like, I mean, something that you guys do that is, I mean, a couple of things. One, you attack that problem with emotion, right? I think a lot of times people make mistakes by purely attaching, attacking something with emotion or purely attacking something with data. And I think if the pain is great enough, you can oftentimes encourage leaders to change. And I think that from my perspective, sometimes the pain and that emotional story like you just shared can be a greater catalyst to change than just purely saying, hey, this is a value add. Um, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and you don't, you don't feel the pain unless you put yourself in your customer's shoes. 100%. And often we are thinking about how do we drive more revenue, more sales, more profit. We're not thinking about how do we create more fans. And it's a different yeah. conversation in different meetings. So that, those are the conversations I love having because the money takes care of itself if you actually create enough fans. No question. Well, when we, when we think about eliminating friction, obviously in a ballpark, there are so many points of friction that you could identify. How do you go about, like, what are some frameworks that you use for prioritizing what to fix now versus what to fix later versus, you know what, this is a pain point, but it's not big enough to show up on our radar. Like, how do you prioritize solving for friction? So what hurts the most? So what hurts the most? So for instance, what I realized at Savannah, the nickel and diming, you know, paying six bucks for this, five bucks for a burger, six bucks for a soda, five, you just go on. That was a pain point that I realized as a parent, like my kid wants a drink, like, oh, here's another five bucks. Like I didn't want that to happen. So that's why we made our whole ballpark all inclusive. Uh, get all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert. And so it's how much it hurts. So you think about when you go through any type of experience for us, like lines, I, I am a very impatient person <laughs> and the idea of standing in line for a long period of time when I could be watching the show, like I look at that every single day. So we're doing all new tests every day. How do we get 4,000 people here in Savannah that eat 10,000 pieces of meat as through it as fast as possible? All of that. So like even in our ballpark now, we're so fortunate that, you know, about 1,000 to 2,000 people line up a couple hours before the game, which is still crazy to me because I'm like, what are you doing? But they, they line up and they're excited. We now pre-scan like the first thousand. So literally once we do our big march and our dance and entertain them, they can run in. We don't have to slow it down. So again, there's not another wait as you've been waiting, just little tension like that. So think about yourself, what hurts, what, 
when you try to call your bank and all you want to do is talk to someone and you got to dial one for this account number for this, are you an organ donor? Yes or no? Like, what are you asking me? What are these questions? Like that stuff hurts. So when it hurts, attack that. If it's something that's like, oh, it's, it's okay. Maybe that's not the first one you attack, but the ones that you really like, oh, this really frustrates me. What frustrates you? Go after that. It, it is interesting too, though. And, and I would ask this because you've worked with organizations around the world as well that kind of adopt this fans first mindset is some, some of those things that you mentioned, like I know as we've worked with organizations as well, sometimes we hear, I know that's a pain point. I know it's really painful, but we have to do it because we need that data or we need that information. We have to collect that. How do you approach problem solving or working with organizations when it comes to that mentality? Small bets. You know, I, I think the key is well, what, what small bets can you do? Um, everything's a small bet for us. Even people think it's like, what? You're like, you're, you're doing big things. I'm like, well, it started as a small bet. You know, we eliminated all of the sponsorship from our stadium, which I don't think any sports team is dumb enough ever to do again. Like, it just doesn't make sense for most sports teams. It was only 10% of our total revenue. Most teams, it's 30, 40, 50%. It was 10% of our total revenue. Same thing, shipping. When we made the decision to make all shipping free, and this isn't like Prime where you got to pay $99 a year. If you just buy, like Katie, you did not pay, you know, we never paid for merchandise. Like the people that part it, they just, they don't pay for the shipping. It's just, if it's a $30 shirt, it's a $30 shirt, a $25 hat, it's a $25 hat. You know, that was thousands of dollars. Now it's a lot more than that, but it's a percentage. It's a percentage. So what we look at is like, hey, worst, worst scenario, if this doesn't create the fans that we hope, if this doesn't get people talking about your experience, how much is the loss? Will it really, really hurt you? Or is it just a little bit? And that's kind of the way we look at anything. It's, it's all small bets that turn into a big, big outcome and a result that, you know, really creates fans. I love that small, small bets mentality. Uh, it, it allows you, I think, to take more risks without yeah. feeling really overwhelmed with, well, what are the ramifications of that kind of change? I love the small bets, uh, little kind of framework, if you will. Um, well, let's move into the next E, which is entertain always. Right. And I think the customer journey, sometimes uh, organizations will, will use this phrase driveway to driveway, but you guys are really taking it literally with actually creating like driving playlists on Spotify. Um, like talk to me about how you guys approach the whole customer journey. Is it just things that you can influence? Is it things you have control over? How do you approach the whole customer journey? You know, I shared in the book, how you view things is how you do things. And once you start seeing something, wherever you look, you see more of it. So like for a company or sports team organization that may be listening to this, you'd be like, all right, that's way too much. Well, once you do it once, you start seeing it everywhere. You know, back in the day with our former team, when I sold sponsorship, you better believe I noticed every billboard, every ad, every radio ad. That's all I saw because that's what I was doing. Now, all I see is ways to enhance and plus the experience as Walt Disney says. So to give you an example, like it's looking at what is your customer journey? and really analyzing, all right, where do you want to make the impact first? Where do you want to go with? And then write down, what are the stages? So David, this is something new for us that, you know, uh, we realized there's seven stages. I shared it in the book, seven stages okay. that we found in our uh, experience. And it's the first impression, which everyone has. That's on your website, your social media. When you go on, that's that first impression. That is a stage. And we always teach our people, always be on stage. When you're on stage, is it how you want people to see you? So what is that first impression? How easy is it to get in touch with someone, your website, your phone number? How quickly can they talk to someone? Then the next stage, and for us, these are ours, and everyone has a different three, four, five, whatever it is. Then we have the parking lot. Then we have uh, the front plaza. Then we have our concourse. Then our grandstand. Then the field. And then the last impression after they leave. And to give an example of our fanaticism, um, I think that's a word. Sounds good. We're fanatical. We'll go with fanaticism. So it... it we're very, we were very good at before and after, you know, we send a video, we send a playlist of music, we send all these things to get them fired up coming to the game and the March and the pep band and everything that they're coming in. But I realized we failed for six years in Savannah on the last impression. And people might say, well, you didn't really fail. When people left, you know, you give them banana moon pies and you'd have the band playing and autographs and make it fun. But what about after that? Hmm. That's not the last impression. And the book actually published before we even started doing this. So I'll share it here because it's not in the book. I was upset. I was frustrated because I realized that people leave the game and we don't do anything after that. Yes, we continue to entertain on all of our social media and send videos and all the fun, but nothing directly to our fan. So on the world tour, we tested something. Every night after the game, the first thing we did, we did two things. The first night, first thing, 
my wife and I would write a handwritten thank you letter. And it would be directly about that night. Tonight, we had the first ever female pitch to her husband in tonight's game. Tonight, we did this. We're so glad you could be a part of it. Thank you for bringing so much energy. Daytona, we love you, West Palm. This is what you were a part of. You made night special. This is You give us the reason for why we do what we do. Something along those lines. Was, every night was a little different. We'd write it. Then we would scan it, and we'd put it in an email that the next morning, they get letter from the owners. Thank you from the owners, which would be handwritten, scanned in there. Simple touch. Took a little time, but that was it. All right, that's nice. But the one thing that really wowed me, it was so pumped for you. I was like, what about after that? All right, so day after. What about a week after? You know, can we get it and send anything to them? And so I thought, I was like, huh, this could be fun. And so I started writing. I go, I wrote my idea session. What could we do one week after, later for fans? So I started coming up with all ideas. All right, we could send this. We could do this. We could do this. And I was like, one week, one week, one week. Wait, the song by Bare Naked Ladies. It's been one week's. And I was like, oh my God, I love this song. This song, all right, all right, brings me back. So I, so I came up with the song. And I met to Ben Sheffield, who was our videographer, but he's also a singer songwriter. I go, Ben, I've got an idea. The One Week by Bare Naked Ladies. Can you do a parody with all the things that happened during our game and write it? And then we'll showcase, we'll do a video of all of that. And then we can send it to people. And he wrote it. And I, the first time I was like, oh my God, it's been one week since you've seen us play. Watch the Banana Nanas dance in a funny way. And he wrote this whole song. And it was amazing. And we videoed it. And one week later, now we send a full video to it's one week to all of our fans after the world tour. In, incredible. I, I think, I, like, I hope that for those of you listening to this, right? I mean, I think about, especially the senior leaders, like get out of your office and be, be okay taking a small bet like some of these things right like I, I mean i think about times where we've been with organizations where they're backed up on call logs and their senior leaders like three layers down aren't picking up the phone and calling customers and you guys are writing handwritten notes to fans every time and then saying okay let's how do we plus that up how do we yeah. take that further and it's just again it's the level that you guys really take entertain always and fans first to a whole another level um, well, I, I want to ask something else. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about like how you have plussed up invoices, right? Um, once you've plussed something up, how do you go back and refresh it as opposed to just saying, well, we plussed that up and it's great. So let's move on to the next thing and forget about it and we'll set it and forget it. How do you get out of that mentality? Or is there a period where you're like, okay, we will, we'll do this one week. It's been one week email, right? <laughs> When will you go back and revisit that and say, is this working? Should we try something new? Great question. And something we're still learning. Um, <laughs> so the video, when people buy merchandise or they buy tickets, I was a part of the first few, maybe three, four years ago, we started doing that. And then I realized that each year after we're like, it wasn't as good or as creative. And so like, for instance, we, we refreshed that. And now when people buy tickets or merchandise, we might send a different video like, hey, while you're doing this, check out the time that our player danced uh, or came out as Rick, the nature boy, uh, flair and pitched in his underwear. And we just send other new, more updated videos instead of just doing always a unique, you know, video particular to that thing. So we want to stay fresh. But like your invoice question. Yeah, I mean, I wrote this two years ago and for the listeners. The, uh, we believe every pay point is a pain point. So this is the invoice. It's congrats. This is your day. The day you've been waiting for. Today is the day you get to pay. You may think you've had days like this. The day you bought your first house. The day you bought your first car. Or maybe your first all-inclusive vacation. But nothing is quite like Bananas Payday. So pull out your money owner, savings bond, rare coins, Bitcoin, gold, cash, credit card, or check. And make that payment like we know you can. We believe in you. This is your moment. Now seize it. Your life will never be the same. Love, Jesse Cole and the Bananas. So like that I wrote. And to be honest with you, it's like, I kind of like that. Like, I don't know how we plus that or do that different. The only thing is like, all right, that's written form. Could there be a way to send a, an audio with a, a little recording? Could there be a way to see it and then a video? So other ways of doing it is a way to plus it. But um, I don't have the answer to it. Right now, that's the invoice we're using. We yeah. know we have new fans that come in every day that we want to send the best stuff that we had before. But it's just, uh, we know that even if people have seen it before, it's still okay. It's still okay. Yeah. You don't need to try to fix everything right away and refresh and refresh and refresh because then creatively you get worn out by it. Totally. And I, and I think too, for organizations that are small in size, right? You, you can't, there's a million things that you want to tackle. So it's about identifying, okay, how can we fix the pain points first? At, at least in my mindset, right? How can we fix the pain points first and then double down on the peaks, the things that are doing, that are going pretty well for us so far. Um, all right, well, let, let's move on to experiment constantly. You guys are the 
kings and queens of experimenting. I, th I think I, I think I remember us talking about this where like you guys are running like nine different experiments at least every single game. Is that number right? Yeah, it's funny. I, uh, <laughs> I Kyle Lewis, who's our first pitcher that we signed full time, and I'm starting to spread out the podcast to let our team do it. And Kyle joined us five years ago. He's like, you know, we do one new promotion every single night. And I, I went to Kyle yesterday. I go one. He goes, well, you start say that. I go, Kyle, that was a couple of years ago. We're at five <laughs> now, buddy. And he goes, you're right. I feel like we're doing a lot more new. I go, Kyle, we got to get in on this, buddy. I go, you're literally doing a, a pitch while dancing every single night. We never did that before. I mean, that's one alone. Forget all the other stuff. He goes, right. yeah, right. You're right. So, uh, yeah, we do five to 10. Um, and I, I forget what the question was, but I mean, the reality is I, that, that's part yeah, of what we do. It's just, it's I, part of our I culture. Yeah. The, que the question was really just like, just verifying that you guys are still running that type of experiment. I mean, there, there are some bigger overarching ones that I love, like, you know, the make it bacon toilet paper where people are wiping their butts with the logo of a, of a rival team or the Dolce & Gabbana's underwear. Dolce & Banana. Dolce & Banana underwear. Dolce & Banana underwear. Or yeah. like Blackstone's Fun Night. I mean, there is a ton that you guys have done. So how- Now it's on the field. Now it's on the field. So, so- what the okay. greatest thing that experiments do for us is that we can do things and get immediate feedback. And this is something, you know, people have been very flattering. They're like, oh, you like the globe charters. And I'm like, we're really trying to be more WWE meets Disney. I, I, I see us with hopefully a much bigger, I don't even want to use the word ceiling, an opportunity to build a brand. And Vince McMahon said this all the time. He got more immediate feedback back in the 80s because literally at the live events, then when social media came, they learned how to get the feedback. Where are the fans responding to it? What are they doing? What's working? What's not? So we always have our live audience, but now because our digital audience has grown so much, we can do, all right, we're gonna uh, try our batter coming up to bat. We have a player named Indiana now, Indy. So he came out, we gave him, we literally dressed him as Indiana Jones last night. And he, we gave him a whip and he came up and we played the music and we did it. And it, like live, the fans were all into it. It was the lowest viewed video we've had in months. And I was like, why is this? I was like, it was shot well, it was done well. But what we was like, all right, maybe it didn't resonate. You know, not people are talking about Indiana Jones right now. It wasn't as timely. So those things we learned, it's like, okay, that didn't work as well. And so, but it's just an experiment. We had fun with it. So when you do five to 10 things every night, we're learning faster than anyone else because it's everyone's like, oh, the Dizzy Bat's the third inning. The chase, the mascot is the fifth inning. And it's the same promotions every inning. You're not literally learning. You're going to see the same thing, a different variation every time. So I'm challenging our team. How can we learn faster? And right now it's, it's tougher for us. We're in the coastal plane league right now. We're not in our banana ball world tour team where we can break every rule and do whatever the heck yeah. we want. So yeah. we're having to like, all right, we're trying outfielders doing TikToks. We're trying infielders doing TikToks. We're trying uh, all these new things we've never done before because it's just, it's a constraint and constraints foster creativity as I share in the book. So um, it's just, you have to build a part of your, your DNA and you have to be able to get feedback immediate. Because if you don't get feedback immediate, then what's the point of an experiment? You need to be able to get it and see, did it work? Why did it work? Why did it not? And learn. And so that's what we're trying to do. As you guys have grown more, right? I, I know there was one point in time where digitally, you guys were like, digital is not our thing, right? It's about the, you come here and, and we'll never at be the, the most technologically. At the stadium. Yes. Right, right, at the stadium. Yeah. We're, we're, so totally, that's completely changed on the actual digital fan engagement, engaging yeah. fans 365. Um one question I have is around just like data and feedback on that. For the most part, it feels like really you're getting great analytics digitally when you do a TikTok dance or something like that. But when it comes to the stadium experience, are you still mainly looking at it from like anecdotally and hearing those stories, hearing fans? Like talk to me about how you've gotten those feedback loops a little bit more in depth. Yeah, I'm the worst on surveys. And I have, I have a pretty spirited <laughs> opinion on that. And um, Let's you know, hear it. Like, give, give us a hot take. Oh, I'm, I'm against surveys 1000%. You know, I think it's completely biased. I think you get a very small sample size and I think it's what people say, what they want, think they want to say, and you got to watch what they do. I am more fascinated by watching what people do, not what they say. So give me an example. <laughs> Two years ago, I had our team every 30 minutes, take a picture of our grandstand starting at 530, six o'clock, 630, seven o'clock, 730, every single night. And I want to see when people were getting up, what the crowd looked like, how thin was it, what time were they leaving? And we kept track of when fans were leaving. Nuts. No one said, I want a two-hour time game where fans can catch a foul ball for an out and if batters can steal first and there's no bunting. No one said that. But what we watched is that literally by 9 o'clock, 30 40% of our fans were already leaving. So if we could keep every game under 9 o'clock starting at 7, that it would work by watching when fans were leaving, not them telling us they want a two-hour game. Because most people go to a baseball games, oh, I had a good time. Well, you left halfway through. 
No one's watching Top Gun Maverick and saying, ah, oh, this was a great movie. I left in the middle, though. Like, that doesn't happen, all right? So, again, a survey would tell you something different. But you watch, watch their feet, watch what they're doing. And so I am so adamant. And same thing, like Jeff Bezos says this. No one said they wanted something that's always on and that's shaped like a Pringles can that's in your kitchen that listens to you and plays music. No one said that, all right? But obviously, Alexa and Echo have been a game changer. Same thing with Steve Jobs. No one said they wanted these iWatches and all these other things. You have to start testing, innovating, and doing, and watch how your fans or customers react. That's why I'm adamant. You want a hot take? That's just what we believe in. So we just literally watch people put things out in the world and see how they respond. I love it. And again, I think this really encourages, it should encourage senior leaders to get out from your reports, get out from your behind your computer screen during games, just staring at graphs and charts. Like go out and walk around and actually capture data that way. Because the way, what you just said is very database. It's just not charts and graphs. It's yeah, you're not, you're, yeah, you're not going to have like a case study on our data. Hey, he was just watching the fans and this is what he thought. Like, or again, I've mentioned this before. The best thing I think we do still is undercover fan where we literally park with the fans. We walk in with the fans. We sit with the fans. We eat with the fans. We stand in line with the fans. We go through the whole experience. You want to feel the pain points and the plants that are going actually do it. So these senior leaders go to your actual game as a fan, not like, oh, I got VIP. I'm going to go sit here in my corner, like literally sit in the worst seat in the house, go through the worst food section in the house, experience that. That's the best survey in the world you can do. How does that program work for you guys specifically? Do you rotate every game? Is it senior leaders only? Uh, give us a little more detail on how that like experience works for you guys. This is why I love you, David. Like you're talking to a crazy guy in a yellow tuxedo. Like you think we have a process? So you think I have an actual process? <laughs> like, like I just put that yellow tux on every day and try to come up with ideas. Like that's my process. Uh, so what is the detailed data behind this whole process? We, we literally have a sign-up sheet for undercover fan. And, <laughs> and, and that's YouTube. a specific process. That's, oh, well, I, I, don't, I didn't set up the sign-up sheet. Someone else much smarter that has detailed set that product. And then they go, through the pro, they go through the night, and the goal is to find the friction points, frustration points, and the fan's first moments. And at the end of the night, they do a little, they share. And every night's different. Sometimes we'll have interns who it's like, it was so much fun. It was the best thing ever. Well, give us something else. I just loved it all. Like, all right, we need more. And so it's just, you have to be able to uh, push it. So we have a lot of our senior leaders, I guess you would say, go early in this year to really go through. This is what we notice in concessions. This is what we notice in parking. This is what we notice in these details to help uh, push that forward. So how's that, that process work for you? That's a great, that's a great process. But I, I mean, that Jesse, that hits on the point, right? Is sometimes like we process things to death. Like if it's yeah. not like a, a, a step-by-step thing that is signed off on by senior leaders, like it doesn't happen. Because that's that's our culture. We have to have these guys signing off on it. It's like just throw a sign up sheet and get to it. Just right? start like something. Start doing. Like literally. Sometimes start that's doing. what it is. <laughs> you know, it it it's it's so it, it's so funny because Herb Kelleher, I think I've, I should I might have shared this before before. He was asked five years in by a reporter. You know, uh, what's your business plan for Southwest Airlines? What's your strategy? And and he goes he goes, it's called doing things. Like that's all he said. Like that was the literal quote from him. It's called doing things. Yet is one of the most brilliant things when you think about it. Like they just worked fast, did things and learned and they made a lot of mistakes. But, you know, I really believe there's a huge value in learning faster. And the only way you learn faster is if you do more. Mm -hmm. Love that. Um, all right. For sake of time, let's keep moving here to engage deeply. Okay. Um, now in the book, you've got this story about Coach Riley and the Nunn family and when I think about some of the bigger organizations, especially sports teams that we work with, like this concept of creating a personalized experience is like particularly scary. They they always get stuck on like, if we, if we do this for one person, now we've got to do it for everybody or this person's going to complain because they saw it happening to that person and they're not getting it. So how, how might we reframe their mindset around personalized experiences and scaling personalized experiences, making them maybe a little bit more manageable? Uh, <laughs> Well, I would say you got to do the unscalable to do the scalable. And so we've done a lot of unscalable and, you know, we haven't figured, we, we were making thank you calls to every single fan that bought a ticket and every fan that bought merchandise. And unfortunately we've reached to a point where we're not, we have to get more creative. So, but we started that way. So you have to start by doing the unscalable. And I think, um, you know, one of the best advice I've heard was from Andy Stanley, do for one, what you wish you could do for many. And I think a lot of people as leaders were like, oh, well, we got to try to do that for everyone. No, you know? Just know that you create these certain moments and then that the, the emotion behind it, the feeling behind it, the reason behind it is what can really be shared with your team to do more of that. So, you know, to give you an example, like every day I almost, I walk into the, the locker room and I will see the team with a phone 
doing a personal video message to some fan that they're sending out. You know, we had a, just the other day, uh, a kid who's, you know, battling leukemia and his favorite team's the bananas. He watches us on YouTube. And so not only did I watch, they all just sent this video to him. Then our team sent obviously a hat and some gear and a personal message. And, you know, we're doing everything. It's just little things like that. That's not beyond special. A lot of teams do that. But for that one person, it matters a lot. So the advice that I've learned from here was from Darren Ross. He said he runs uh, the Magic Castle Hotel. I shared in the book, but it's listen carefully, respond creatively. I think as leaders, how often do we listen? You know, I, whenever I go to a hotel, they always have additional comments. I always put a note. I really love water. It's a simple note. Like I just love, I love water. And it, <laughs> I just want to know who will put a water bottle in my room. Like it costs 17 cents. I would say, I would say one out of five have a water bottle in my room. Or I, I come up, do you have any water? They're like, oh, it's $5, the Evian bottle in your room. And, and again, it's, it's, it's not a huge deal, but so many people will put in comments. I'm celebrating, celebrating anniversary. I'm here for the first time. Um, you know, we find out when our members, you know, we see on Facebook that they're going to have, to have a baby. So we send them a, a bananas onesie and we say, welcome the banana baby. And we'll send it to them. And they don't even know, like just a congratulations. Um, we also have a wait list for our banana baby, which is really funny. So people, before they're even having their baby. They have a wait list. They're like, uh, you know, we're giving birth in May of next year. We just want to make sure we're ready to go. I'm like, that's crazy, but you're on the list. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyways, but it's just, it's part of that thing. It's like, how can we listen and know, oh, this is a Georgia Bulldog fan. They're a Yankees fan. They're so-and-so. And just listen and say, you know what? I'm going to send something. I, I'm going to find this little thing and just send it thinking about you or do a video. I'm thinking about you. Don't do it for everyone. You can't do it for everyone, but find those moments and it makes an impact. So on, on this note, I mean, and, and there's the book is filled with stories as well of people that have connections with the brand now that maybe haven't come to a yeah. game uh, and, and maybe they, they might come to a game at some point in the future. Maybe they won't. Maybe they live in another country, whatever it might be. How have you prioritized kind of spending your time balancing between that virtual fan 365 experience that they have with the brand? versus the in-game fan experience? Like, where do you guys feel like you balance your time uh, as, a, as a sports organization or an entertainment organization? Going back to Mr. Beast, and this is funny because a week ago, I had no idea who this guy is, um, but I've listened to every podcast. I know, I, 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 I got to figure it out. I've got to get into it, but now I know. <laughs> now I know Now I know probably more than most people. So I'll, I'll, I'll get, in one week, I went hard. And I think that's actually a great way to learn is go very deep on something. Once you want into it, just go as deep as possible. So anyways, I've probably listened to every podcast read. I even bought like this weird essay on Amazon that's like being sold. I think they've sold like 13 copies. I bought it. I have everything I could. Uh, and every interview I listen to, he says, just trying to create the greatest video possible. Just everything we do is try to create the greatest video possible. Greatest video possible. And it was like, all right, I'm seeing a theme here. And so for me and spending my time, what I realized is to create the greatest show possible. Create the greatest show in sports possible. Every single day, create the greatest show. It's why I walk around and plus try to plus every experience. If we create the greatest show possible, it's great for a live crowd, and then it translates to a digital crowd. Now, I'm spending a lot of time trying to think more digitally as well, because I've always been the live crowd, but I know, you know, just one of our last games, we had 35,000 unique viewers watching a game, which is crazy to me. So now, I mean, if that becomes a network, becomes 50,000, 100,000, I mean, some shows don't get that much. So now I'm putting more bandwidth there. That's why I'm learning kind of the YouTube, how to get people to the next step, the next step, the next step. So, uh, but anyways, create the best, best show possible, create the best products possible, create the best experience possible. Why did Steve Jobs spend so much attention to detail on even the box that the computer and the phone was delivered? Create the greatest product possible. And then everything else takes care of itself. I love it. It's a, it's a great answer for this question. So, um, one thing that I, I want to like, just, just a little bit hit on, right. Is that all of those things impact your brand. And at the end of the day, it's, it's about the Savannah Bananas brand. Again, whether that person, that fan is just as valuable, whether they're buying, you know, one t-shirt or they're buying season tickets because you never know how we're going to integrate them into that process. I mean, how, how do you think about that from like a value of fan? I mean, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, create the greatest show possible for each person. But how do you think about that in terms of like fan value or average lifetime value of a fan? Do you calculate that at all? I mean, that sounds like a really smart thing I should think about. But no, I've put zero bandwidth into any of that. So you get your, people are going to listen like this guy puts zero attention to detail that I'm trying, trying yeah. to create greatest show possible. So if every fan is valuable to us. You know, we always say every game is someone's first game. Every day is someone's opportunity to create a fan. And so everyone on our staff, whatever it is. So even like, 
I make sure if I, whenever I see people in bananas gear, oh, I love you in that shirt. You look good. I'm not talking about the ballpark. I see him on in town. I say, go bananas. And, you know, just little things because just acknowledging that fan, they might've bought one shirt. They might've come to 50 games. They might've come to one game. Every game I go up in the crowd and I say, all right, who's the furthest from home? And usually we're averaging about 25 to 30 states in four or five countries, which is comical to me. And then I say, all right. And I say, uh, who's the closest to home? And we acknowledge them, the people that are just down the road. And then we say, who's first game here? Right now, it's usually about 50% of our crowd. And who's come to a Bananas game before? We acknowledge everyone. They're all the same to us. They're all a part of Banana Land. But we want to acknowledge them for whatever category they fit into in this crazy thing that we call Banana Land. I love it. All right, let's head into empowering action. And I think this is going to really highlight the fact that you very much pay attention to details. Um, you guys have really created a, a culture that embraces yes, no idea being too crazy. Uh, and I love your LinkedIn page because you're constantly sharing like the behind the scenes insights of things that you guys do. Um, but this was not something that you did. This was something that your employee did that is hyper attention to detail. And that was changing the drain covers to have the banana in it, right? So like when we think about customer experience, every there might be one person in the stadium that noticed the drain cover had a little banana logo on it. Um, but so, I mean, one, maybe give us a, an insight into that story. And then I want to ask, are there certain parameters or limits that people can work within? Like, do they need to get approval for things? Because I know on that drain story, I don't believe that there was an approval process I went through. But anyway, that's my open-ended question. So go for it. Rock and roll. The drain story. Uh... <laughs> Very simple. We're in a 1926 ballpark. I'm looking at it right now and it's challenged. It's almost a hundred years. You know, when you're getting to almost be a hundred years old, you're going to need a little help. And so our ballpark, uh, needs a lot of help. And, uh, so one of the areas, I mean, the drain covers have probably been there since 1937, probably got a new reboot after there was a hurricane here back in the day. But anyways, so we have our Kurt who walks around is huge for us. He is our, you know, director of groups. He started as a group leader. So literally he was running a youth group. And came out one night. It was Bark in the Park night. And we had all the fans bark as dogs. He won the best bark. So I actually remember he told me that story. So he was a fan. Came out to the game. Then he became a part-time staff member and an usher and working the grills. Then he became seasonal. Then he became full-time. So he's gone the full gauntlet of seeing what it is. Which I think is so great. Hire your fans. If you can hire your fans, that's a win. Tangent. Moving on. Now to Kurt and the, and the drain story. So... He, he's going around the stadium and he's still like looking at the fans and the ushers and he's like, looking at these drains. He's like, man, that's terrible. And I didn't know it, but he's like, hey, Jesse, check this out. And he showed me a prototype. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I go, what, what's this? He goes, ah, just the drains. They were just all rusty. I thought might as well see if we can do a banana. So I reached out to this person. They couldn't do it. I reached out to this person. They said they could do it. And he said, so I just got them all made for all of them. And I look at it. It's like this tiny little like square drains. Like I bet you 99% of our fans don't notice. But the 1% that notices like, ah, that's interesting. The same thing, every base that we have, our bases are always yellow. Coming in August are custom yellow baseballs. Every little detail does matter. And I think learn this from Disney. It's uh, how, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so, and, and just a little bit of notes. So yeah, we empower people as far as budgets. Like, no, if you see something, just do it. I mean, just do it. And I think that's like, I'll give you a better example. The party animals, the team that we played in our banana ball mm -hmm. world tour, it's one of our teams. I didn't know half the things they were going to do, but because they understood the vision, if you're very clear on the vision, it's fans first entertainment was we're going to make baseball fun. We had players take out kids on the field. I remember our left fielder took out a kid on the field in the middle of the game and he's like, brings him a shortstop. And I'm like, oh no, please don't be a line drive. Please don't be a line driver. Are we okay? Okay. We had another guy walk up to bat blindfolded. I'm like, he's going to get hit. Like, this is just dangerous. And then the next day, he come, they come up with a, a bat on fire. I'm like, this ain't going to go well. Uh, and like every night, and then another guy, the guy comes up to bat smoking a cigar as he's up to bat. I'm like, what are these guys doing? But some of those we had to tame back a little bit. But because you gave them the permission, make baseball fun and be fans first and entertain always, they embodied it. And a lot of those clips with our opponent got more views and more viral hits than some of the things that we did. And so I think that's, you got to be clear with the vision. And we just say, hey, here's what we're doing, guys. Have fun. And if they do something that's overboard, great. Like, I want to see someone go, like, go overboard. Like, that's crazy. Like, go too far. That means, that means that you have the ultimate permission to have fun. And we'll tone it back from there. Yeah, I think definitely as a leader, when it comes to customer experience, like, you'd rather have your employees go too far and rein them back in than have to constantly push them and try to get them to do more. It's so yeah. much easier to coach from that perspective. 100%. Um, all right, well, just bring us home here. Uh, one of our favorite quotes from the book is, the first fan is yourself. You can't create fans until you're a fan of what you do. So I'm going to ask this question for you. 
what has been one or two of the things that maybe let's talk to your top one that you've been a fan of that you haven't talked about yet on any other show or any other podcast, a top moment that you're just really proud of that you think our audience should know about and that they can learn from. Can I share one that I have shared, but it's more recent and then share another one. I'll, I'll, I'll combine them here. All right. You're giving me permission. I'm breaking rules. That's what I do. Uh, so all right. the first one that I haven't shared much is the seventh inning stretch. Take me out to the ball game is not the Savannah bananas. That's your grandpa's game. The song you sing. I know people have a lot of affinity to it. And I have some fans. Well, how come you don't sing, take me out to the ball game anymore? I'm like, it's, it's not, we're not, it's this banana land. We don't, we don't go back to the ball game with Cracker Jacks. It's a little bit different. So <laughs> I just kept thinking, I go, how do we get the crowd to be a part of something that's genuinely unique, genuinely fun. You feel part of something in our games, as you know, from the dancing players and Hey baby, and the singing and the crazy promotions, people in diaper diapers and colon cleansings and Porta Johns and all those crazy things we do living pinatas. There's a lot of things that are fun and wild, but I always like on a great movie, there's a roller coaster of emotion. It takes you from a high, high, a thrill to laughter, to you feel part of something, you know, you, you're caught and, and it's emotional. And so I really want to take people on those journey. And so I said, the seventh inning stretch, I don't want just everyone singing, take me out to the ball game. I want them to feel part of something that's genuine, unique to the bananas. So I wrote down ideas. I said, seventh inning stretch ideas. What can we sing? And I, I was like, all right, come on. And then all of a sudden came to me, yellow by Coldplay. Bananas, yellow, Coldplay. And so we tried it the first night and it was just awkward and uncomfortable. The song didn't start at the right point. People don't know how to sing. But the second night I said, everyone, take up your phones, put your phones in the air and your flashlight. Look at the stars, look how they shine for you and everything you do. And it was all yellow. And to see 4,000 people and on the road, we were up to 10,000 people with their lights flashing and everyone singing, look at the stars, like how they shine for you. And it's like, I love you so. And then I finished with, we love you, Banana Nation. Thank you so much. And you hear everyone just go nuts. It's an emotional, like powerful moment. And for me, the greatest moment is when I'm doing it, I'm seeing all the fans, thousands of fans. I look over and I see the players on the line and you can see the players taking in what they're a part of and that they've created something truly special. And uh, I tested this on a speech in Miami a couple weeks ago. So I said, turn off the lights. Everyone put your flashlights. And everyone was like singing, holding the flashlights. I was like, it doesn't work the same, but it's okay. It's okay. Because I want people to take a second and be a part of something. So actually, I'm not even going to tell the other one. I'm going to leave it at that one I never told before. So I hope that works. That's, that's a great one, Jesse. Well, hey, uh, where can people follow along your journey, get more insights? I think LinkedIn is a great spot, but where can people find you? Obviously, they got to go buy the book. Give them, give us the details. Sure. I spend most of my time on MySpace. So if you guys want to just check me out on MySpace, I got a page. I got some of the new upcoming music. I got a really cool, fun profile. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you hit it. Uh, LinkedIn, I spend most of my time. I uh, do posts behind the scenes every single day or every other day. And so, uh, yeah, check that out. Find us the bananas. I'm pretty easily accessible. And uh, thanks, man. It's always a pleasure, especially third time with you guys. If you don't have the book already, go get it. We'll put a link in the show notes so that you can go get it. Uh, it's incredible, full of insights. Even if you've already heard Jesse and spent a lot of time with Jesse, there's a ton of new stuff in there that you haven't heard. So Jesse, want to thank you once again for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my man.